Bill, thank you so much for reading that for us. Let's pray as we come to God's Word. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, we do need you now, Lord, to, uh, to speak to us through your Word. Would your Spirit be powerfully at work in us? Please open our eyes and our hearts and our lives to be ex- exposed to the light of your truth, and that in that we would all be changed. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Do you ever feel utterly weak in your service of the Lord Jesus? If you do, how do you deal with that? Should we do as the world does and kind of just hide it, bury it away, pretend to be stronger than we are? How does the phrase go? Fake it till you make it? Or is there a better way, a godly way? A pathway built by God himself for pilgrims to go down when they feel weak. A pathway that leads from weakness to joy and contentment and actually to real strength in the Lord. Well, What we're going to see today, I, I hope and pray, is that there is a better way. Not in ignoring our weaknesses as Christians, but actually in embracing them. Let's talk about weakness. It comes in many forms, doesn't it? Physical. Maybe your good health that you once enjoyed has um, broken. You're battling with an illness that leaves you in a weakened state most of the time. Or maybe it's just you're just physically burned out from the constant grinding pressure of life and work and uh, home and you're just completely and utterly exhausted, weak. Perhaps it's emotional weakness, perhaps you're struggling with mental health or bereavement or some emotional damage from the past. You know, tears in the night are not uncommon for you. Maybe it's a spiritual weakness, maybe some temptation or sin or doubt has kind of gripped your soul at the moment and It's left you feeling spiritually weak. The fires of your love for God have dwindled to embers and feel like they're about to go out. And who could not feel weak and powerless as we observe the events in the Ukraine at the moment? Utterly, you know, for all our collective might of the West, can't do anything. Weak. The trouble is, the world hates showing weakness, doesn't it? Might is right, strength is good, weakness is bad. The world says, avoid showing your weakness at all costs. Some of you may know a famous boxer, Floyd Mayweather. uh, And he once said this, it's on the screen, I'm the only fighter that keeps it real. Anything I say is real. I am never fake. I've never shown my weakness. I will never show my weakness. You know, my final year at university, as we were, many of us were preparing to face job interviews and that kind of thing, um, uh, we were sort of advised on how to answer the fairly standard question, I think, in interviews, which is, what are your weaknesses? 
<laughs> it's just a comical kind of charade, really. But you, we were, you're told to actually... Uh, well, you can't say, I don't have any weaknesses, because that makes you sound either deluded or arrogant. And I can see a number of you smiling at me, knowing, yeah, we know this. What we were told to say is actually say a strength that is disguised as a weakness. So you say something like, oh, my weakness is that I just work too hard. I mean, come on. Or my weakness is that I just care too much about my job and I sacrifice everything else for it. I'm like, come on. Why? Because the world hates showing weakness. And sometimes we think, if you're a believer here today, Shouldn't being a Christian make a difference? Shouldn't it make it better? Shouldn't it make me stronger? And in one way, it really does, because of the security of the gospel. But in another real way, the reality is, for most active Christians I know, being a Christian actually makes it harder. You feel weaker. Rather than the weakness going away, often it makes it worse. Sometimes people ask me, you know, Mark, what's it like being in Christian ministry? Slightly the the assumption being it's a kind of joyride, a spiritual joyride most of the time. And if if I feel I can be honest with that person, I, I do say something along the lines of, well, whilst it is the greatest privilege in the world to serve my Lord in this way, most of the time... I feel completely weak. And if you're involved in any kind of Christian ministry, I wonder if that resonates for you too. Part of the problem, I think, in church is that everyone else seems so strong, and and we're the only weak one. We we struggle and we look around and think, well, is there something wrong with my faith? Because uh, no one else seems to be weak. I I shared that once with a, a wise Christian friend, and he said to me, well... People are always hurting more than you think, more than you can see. You see, the truth is, in this room, everyone is weak. It's just that we've become very good at covering it up. And with a passion for life coming up very soon, I wonder how we feel. Well, some of us, I guess, if we're honest, just feel really weak. Can we really go again when there's nothing left in the tank? Does the fact that I'm feeling weak mean that I shouldn't even try? Perhaps I should wait until I feel strong before trying to witness for the Lord Jesus. Well, I have to tell you, if you're going to wait for the time where you feel strong, you will never do it. A very long time. So the world says strength is good, weakness is bad, but could it be that in the economy of God... It's the other way around. As strange as it sounds, could it be that in God's kingdom, strength is bad and weakness is good? Well, just have a look down with me at our key verse, I think, verse 9. And what a verse this is for us today. But he, that's God, said to me, that's Paul, the apostle, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect or complete in what? Weakness. So the world says strength is the way. But the Bible says the complete opposite. No weakness is the way. That's our title on our, uh, for today. 
Weakness is the way. It is shocking to hear, but I really believe that if we understand and embrace this principle as a church family, it would really unlock our ministry in unimaginable ways. The context of this verse in this passage is that verse 1, Paul is recounting a time 14 years prior to writing this when he received the most extraordinary vision from God. In fact, it says he was lifted to the third heaven. The thinking there is the third heaven is kind of the highest heaven where God himself dwells. Now he talks about it rather strangely. You might have picked it up in the third person. I know a, a, a man who... And, and uh, I think the reason he's doing that, even though he's talking about himself, he doesn't want to do that because actually he's kind of reluctant to talk about this experience. He doesn't want to draw attention to himself. Paul's passion was always to point to the Lord Jesus. He didn't want to talk about it, but it comes in a section, chapters 10 to 13, where Paul is having to defend his ministry against some false apostles, so-called super-apostles, who are boasting about their spiritual experiences, their visions, and their strength and impressiveness. So really, he's forced into it, speaking like this. But we're told also that the sheer divine greatness of the visions and revelations made to Paul could have made him very spiritually proud. So to keep Paul from conceit, and actually some of the Bible say to keep him from being too elated, um, God gave Paul, in verse 7, did you see, a thorn in the flesh. I've got the steps here on the screen. Now it's hard to say exactly what that thorn in the flesh was. The commentators aren't agreed on it. It could have been something uh, physical, kind of implies that from thorn in the flesh, but I think it also could have been an emotional problem, a messenger of Satan, or even a spiritual problem. It's described, isn't it, as a messenger of Satan. So this is kind of satanic in nature, incredibly painful, and yet still we're, we're reminded under the sovereign permission of God. The effect of the thorn was still the same. It left Paul feeling, verse 7, harassed. The word there means to be beaten, uh, to be tormented, and therefore utterly weak. We're told in verse 8 that Paul pleaded three times with the Lord that this thorn might be taken away. And in verse 9, our key verse, of course, God's answer to those pleas was no. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Weakness is the way. You see, this verse is reminding us that God, in his wisdom and love for us, purposely sends thorns into the lives of his people, painful though they are, in order to keep us in a state of weakness and dependence on him so that his grace to us might be proved to be sufficient and his power in us might be displayed. That's why Paul goes so far as to say in the second half of verse 9, these extraordinary words, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. 
And in verse 10, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses. What a challenge it is. How, I was asking myself, can I say that hand on heart? I am content with these things, weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. But when I am weak, then I am strong, says Paul. Weakness is the way. And I'd just love to pull out with you briefly three great things that God does in us by keeping us weak and dependent on him. They're on the sheet. first one is weakness keeps us humble. Verse 7 again, that focus on that word conceited or related in your Bible. So to keep me, verse 7, from being conceited, proud, arrogant, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. You know, as Christians, we could be the most intolerably proud, arrogant people, couldn't we? That would be a, a mistake, for sure. But it's because we have the truth of the gospel, we have the truth of God in a world of lies. We, we, have a, um, we have goodness in a world full of evil. We have a relationship with God in a world that does not know him. We have all the answers in, in the Bible to the big questions of life. Who is God? Where did everything come from? Why am I here? Where is the world going? We could be very proud, couldn't we? And so, God has his ways of keeping us humble. You know, every time I go on the growing, uh, every January I go on something called the Growing Young Disciples Conference, I sort of disappear for a week. And I think I've got a picture here of uh, some dudes <laughs> at the conference that I, I know well. Interestingly, the guy on the left is um, Cutlery Boy. If any of you have kids and you're listening to an amazing album, uh, Awesome Cutlery, there he is. He's down. It's just a wonderful conference and, and uh, deep thankful to the church for sending me every, every year. Great fellowship, great teaching, great food, you know. And I get so fired up for Jesus and the gospel has come back going, yeah, I want to uh, tell young people about Jesus for another year. Now, it usually means I miss youth group that week. And in my sort of arrogance and pride, I, I secretly think, well, without me, they'll probably struggle. But do you know what? It's always not the case. I always go, oh, how was it without me? And they go, we had the best time. <laughs> God has his ways of keeping us humble. Um, not only that, but I've actually come to expect that after the spiritual high of being on a conference like that, usually my very next lesson is not great. <laughs> or, or some, some catastrophe happens, or some crisis hits us. Why? Well, God has his ways of keeping us humble, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Firstly, weakness keeps us humble. Um, secondly, weakness causes us to see the sufficiency of God's grace. Let's go from verse 8, eight again. Paul is speaking about the thorn in the flesh three times. He says, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. 
Now, these words, shouldn't they, should be of indestructible uh, comfort for every believer. My grace is sufficient for you. You see, the weaker we are, the more we will look to God for his sustaining grace, which is always sufficient. That word grace implies, doesn't it, God's intimate knowledge of our suffering. He knows. It implies his intimate care for us. He cares. And it also implies his abundant provision of all that we need to get through this and to keep on serving him. Knowledge, care, provision, all wrapped up in that wonderful word, grace, that flows to us through the Lord Jesus and his cross. It struck me that it it wasn't wrong for Paul to pray that God would remove that suffering three times. He says he pleaded, he begged. I imagine through tears. The the fact that he prayed three times is reminiscent, isn't it, of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. That resonated with you. And yet when God's answer to, to Paul was no, it wasn't taken away. The thorn wasn't taken away. He was content to say with his Lord Jesus, yet not my will, but yours be done. And to trust in the sufficiency of God's sustaining grace. You know, sometimes we sing the song, How Firm a Foundation. It's one of the problems of picking songs early in the week. You kind of go, ah, this would have been a good one. But um, How Firm a Foundation captures the sentiment well. There's just a little bit that goes like this. When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie... My grace, says God, all sufficient shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you. I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. You know, this week someone shared with me, I feel it was providential, so I'm including it um, in this talk, but someone shared with me an article from the Evangelical Times, uh, March 2022 edition, so hot off the press, um, but it, it, it's um, I've got a picture here. It, it, it's written by the wife of, uh, of a couple, a Christian couple. Uh, her name's Lorraine Doggett. She wrote this article publicly, so I'm, I'm okay to read it. The, the article is called "Faith Amid Fear: Losing My Husband to Cancer." And the reason I read it is because she quotes our verse, our key verse. I want it to encourage you. So, um, I'll pick it up where, in the story, Stephen, the husband, had already been diagnosed with cancer, and, and that was some years back, and he was responding really well to treatment, and he'd had a sort of uh, remission and, and, and more time, uh, but he picks it up, she picks it up here. As the country went into its first COVID lockdown, Stephen, the husband, finished his last course of radiotherapy. We had nearly eight months of being cancer-free and some wonderful family time. They had three small children. However, in October 2020, Stephen's oncologist told us that the cancer was back and that this time it was terminal. This time round, when bad news came, I was able, through the grace of God, to be stronger for my husband. I trusted the Lord. I let him lead and I cast all my anxieties on him. I won't lie, fear was still there but it did not dominate and paralyze me as it had before. 
both physically, Stephen became weaker. Spiritually, he was growing stronger. In September 2020, Stephen commenced a pastoral training course at the London Seminary and had wonderful fellowship with the brothers there. Even up to the weekend before, uh, the, before the Lord called him home, Stephen preached or led at our church in Stanmore and other churches. The greatest blessing was the Easter weekend of 2021. Stephen preached on Good Friday. He oversaw the baptism of my father on Easter Sunday. And that evening, Stephen and I were interviewed by our pastor, Chris Tapp. Now, some, some of us might know Chris Tapp. He came and preached here a few years ago. Uh, our pastor Chris Tapp on our situation and why we're sure there is life after death. This interview can still be viewed on Stanmore Chapel's YouTube channel. The very next day, Bank Holiday Monday, I had to rush Stephen to UCL Hospital as he was coughing up blood. Again, the prognosis was bleak. The cancer was growing rapidly and Stephen had little time left. But again, the Lord guided us. Again, he spoke, uh, his words spoke through his spirit. One evening, Stephen was in horrific pain. He was already hooked up to a syringe driver for morphine. It was 11 p.m. Uh, I had called out the out-of-hours palliative nursing team for help, but they were not being particularly helpful. And I was at my wit's end, watching Stephen doubled over in pain. God's word enveloped my mind, and over and over again, I kept saying, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And he went to glory. Yeah, story strikes home because they were faithful Christians. They must have prayed more than anyone. Yet Stephen didn't get better and was called home. You see, in other words, God lets the thorn remain in our flesh so that his grace may remain in our hearts. Weakness keeps us humble. Weakness causes us to see the sufficiency of God's grace. And thirdly and lastly, weakness is an opportunity to prove the power of Christ. So verse 9 again. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Why would Paul boast gladly of his weaknesses? The answer is so that the power of Christ may rest upon him. It's the thing about weakness, isn't it? It forces us to rely not on our own strength, but on God's. You see, the weaker we are, the more ready God is to display his power in us and through us. For his glory. Uh, Will, in his introduction, uh, beautifully read uh, a verse I just want to put on the screen, actually, and share with us again. It just picks up the same idea when he says, But we have this treasure, that's the gospel message, in jars of clay, that's us, weak and breakable, dispensable. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. 
you know, when we're actually aware of our weaknesses, and yet God acts through us anyway, those are the times when we're just so aware that must have been God. That wasn't anything to do with me. Because I know I was weak, and yet God was strong. He gets all the glory. You see, weakness doesn't stop us being useful for God. It makes us useful for God. Let's remember that today. Weakness doesn't stop us being useful for God. It makes us useful for God. So be content with your weaknesses, knowing that God delights to use weak vessels to display his glory. Weakness is the way. Hasn't this always been the case in the Bible? Think of Abraham, too weak and old to have children, and yet would be the father of a great nation. Think of Moses, outcast, slow of tongue, weak in speech, and yet would speak to Pharaoh and lead his people out of Egypt. Think of Gideon facing the Midianites, how God on purpose reduced his army to almost nothing to show that the victory belongs to him. Think of David, just a weak boy, teenager, youth group, facing the mighty Goliath. Yet God used him in his weakness to score a great victory for God's people that day. Ultimately, think of Jesus, who came in one sense in weakness, didn't he, as a baby, who when he grew was despised and rejected by men. And ultimately we see in the cross of Jesus God's infinite power displayed in Jesus' weakness as he submitted himself willingly to death on a cross for our sins. There we see at the cross God's power in weakness for our salvation. And you know, after that weakness, Jesus rose again in power and will return one day again in great power and glory and with the clouds of heaven to wipe away all evil and to bring his children home where we will leave behind weakness forever. So be encouraged, my friends, next time you feel weak. Three things to remember. Don't despise it. See that though painful, it's given by a sovereign and good God for your ultimate good. Secondly, pray. Like Paul did, you can pray for its removal. But if the answer is no, and it doesn't go away, be content with God's wisdom. Behind the thorn is an ocean of love. And lastly, see. See the good purposes God is working in you to bear gospel fruit for him. Keep you humble. Help you to see the sufficiency of his grace at all times and to show his great power through your weakness. Weakness is the way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just praise you for these momentous words. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness.
Help us to believe that, Father. Help us to know that is true, to know it is true in our own lives, our own experience. Thank you for your good purposes in keeping us weak. Help us to grasp this to such an extent that we can echo those words of Paul. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. May it unlock our service for you afresh. In Christ's mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.